0: Hey, good morning. Uh, Go ahead and grab your bulletin. We don't normally start this way, but go ahead and grab that. We're welcoming Ampt Blend, Roan County. Good morning to you all. Uh, down in Bearding, Good morning to you. And if you would, as you open it, on the left-hand side there, there's there's something I want to point your attention to, and that is uh, save the date. On June, the weekend of June 10 and 11, it, we're calling Vision Weekend. We did it last year, doing it next year. We anticipate that this will just be a new thing for us moving into the future, an opportunity for us to talk about what God has done and what God is doing. And so if you're going to be on vacation, we'll miss you. If not, we're asking asking you to be here, that you would set that date apart, you'd say, I'm going to participate. And if you are a member of Two Rivers Church, a few things we'll be voting on that weekend. We'll be voting on budget elders, a bylaws update that we we are presenting. You're going to hear about this uh, about every weekend until then. And so with that, uh, we want to encourage you to be part. That weekend, we'll be looking back. Uh, Our church turns 25 years old this year, so we'll be looking back and celebrating. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be celebrating uh, the fact of what God's done, and we'll also be looking forward to what God is going to do. And so that weekend is going to be Busy, but we're looking forward to it. As we jump into a new series this weekend, we're going to be in the book of Exodus. And so you can open, actually, where we're going to start is at the end of the book of Genesis. Be like, wait, I have an Exodus journal that's okay. <laughs> we'll cover it. We'll, 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 we'll put it up for you. So as, as we think about this, um, reading the Bible, it can be super intimidating. And, and here, I'm going to start with true confession. Uh, this, is, this is my story. Uh, I'm not proud of it. But I graduated high school having read exactly one book. And some of you are like, Dave, I upped you. I graduated high school having never read a book. But, but one book, and it was actually in junior high. I can't remember if it was in seventh or eighth grade. There was one book that I've read cover to cover before um, really a long time in my life, maybe even uh, into college or after. And that is Where the Red Fern Grows. <laughs> and if you've read Where the Red Fern Grows... Um, if you haven't read it, uh, spoiler alert, I'm going to spoil it for you, so plug your ears. But if you've, if you've read Where the Red Fern Grows, you know this book makes you cry. And so my story is this book ruined me for reading forever. <laughs> I'm not reading anymore. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. No, I, I, thought, I thought reading was terrible. I, I, I didn't under, you know, like, I can just listen in class and pass the test and graduate high school. What more do I need? Well, kids, you need more than that, okay? Read your book. But, but and when it comes to, to studying the scriptures, many of us take that same kind of cr- approach. Like, what do I really need to know? I can just find out information that I need to know on the weekend. Do I really need to read this Bible thing for myself? And the answer to that is an emphatic, yes, absolutely. Even if you're not a reader, even if you've never read, there's so many tools for us now that that we can listen, we can read, we can listen and read at the same time. There's so many tools for us. We do not have an excuse not to engage the God of the scriptures because God has revealed himself through literature. It's God's chosen vehicle to, to reveal who he is is through writing. That's what God chose to do. And through the power of his spirit, yes, but God's revealed definitively who he is through literature. And so it's our job to understand what God is saying through his story. So as a follower of Jesus, here's the, walk, the thing to walk away with this weekend, that, that as a follower of Jesus, my part is to know God as he is revealed by the story. That's my part. My part is to know the God of the story. And so that begins with what, what makes for a compelling story? What are the elements that you would say make for a compelling story? Now, um, probably the most common storytelling medium in our culture today is video. And uh, with, with things like Netflix, uh, something happened. There's been, a, there's been a new generation of shows that we might call binge-worthy shows. Like, these are the shows that I can watch back to back to back over a weekend, and, and what is it that makes a show binge-worthy? And, and this week, we were talking about that in sermon meeting, and the first word was cliffhangers. Cliffhangers. They, they leave you in a spot where you have to find out what's next. In fact, uh, we'll be a couple shows in. It's time to go to bed, and I'm saying to my wife, yeah, but, but it, it's time to go to bed, or she's saying to me, yeah, but it's time to go to bed, but can we just, can we just get through the cliffhanger? Can we just find out? Because I'm not going gonna, gonna to have anxiety as I try to go to bed if I can't resolve this issue in the story. There's, there's another type of story that's out there right now, and it's called the docu-series. Uh, We're where in a documentary. You, I was talking to my daughter this week. She's like, there's this whole thing out there. Where, where they encourage guys that if you want to get, and it could be girls too, but if you want to get your, your girlfriend or boyfriend into sports and they're not into sports, the way that you do it is you have them watch a docu-series on Netflix. And so it's about tennis or about golf or about, uh, I've talked multiple times about the F1 series, whatever it may be. But you know in those videos what they don't teach you is how to play golf. They don't teach you how to have a better forehand in tennis. They tell the stories of people. What draws you in is the story. And so all of a sudden you're watching this story about these, these people who play professional golf, and the next thing you know, you're watching the masters and falling asleep on your couch. <laughs> That's, they draw you into the story. We're hardwired for stories. If you watched um, this week, if you did the Live It Out, you did watch. The 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 series from the Bible Project on what is the Bible and how do we read it and, in that they talked about the majority of the Bible forty three percent was the stat they give I did not double check it um, is is story. A third of it is poetry. A quarter of it is something called prose discourse. But but we're a people that are made to know God and a people that God has revealed who he is through story. So if you take a look there in your bulletin, on the outline, on the back of your bulletin, this is the overarching story of God in seven acts. Now when I use that word acts, we are not talking about the book of acts, okay? We're specifically saying like acts in a play, this is God's story in seven movements, God's story in seven acts. If we look at the structure there, um, there's there's a an x-shaped structure and we've talked about that before this x-shaped structure points towards something and that is it draws our attention it uses it's using parallel storying to draw our attention to the focal point of the story this is used all throughout the bible um, uh, Jesus used this as a storytelling technique. This is a very Hebrew kind of thing to do, and and it points us towards Jesus. He is the pinnacle of God's story, no doubt about it. But we spend a lot of time in in uh, Act One. We spent, if you think about the last couple years, we spent a lot of time in Act One, which is just the first two chapters of the book of Genesis. And then the next act, Act two, we call rebellion. Um, Instead of just calling it, a lot of people may call it fall and just referring to the events that happen in Genesis chapter 3. It's really what happens in Genesis chapters 3 through 11 where we see God's people fall into rebellion, right? Humanity just falls into rebellion against God. And then beginning in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, there begins a new movement of God. And so if somebody were to ask you, At what point in the Bible does God reveal his rescue plan for humanity? What would you say? Now, you're in church and almost always here at Two Rivers, the answer is going to be Jesus. Almost always. But in this case, that's not the answer. God begins his rescue mission with a guy who at the time is called Abram, who becomes Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, God's rescue plan begins at the beginning of of Act 3 in Genesis chapter 12, where we see that God makes a promise to Abram that he will be a blessing to all people for all time. That through him, that God's going to develop a people Set apart for God's purpose that forever those people will worship him. In in Genesis chapter 12, it says this. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." And then from there, um, the story reaches its pinnacle in Jesus, and then we spent a lot of time in Act 5. We just spent 12 weeks going through the book uh, of Ephesians that's right there in the heart of what it looks like to be part of God's mission and promise as part of a new covenant kind of people. And then uh, in judgment, we're talking about towards the end of Revelation, that's talking about final judgment. And it forms a parallel to the rebellion that happens in Genesis chapter three verse 11. Finally, that rebellion is resolved, but it doesn't get resolved until the very end of God's story. And then the new creation that happens at the end of revelation, where, where God's plan is fully delivered okay, God's story in a big picture kind of way, this is something that I would encourage you to cut out, put in the front of your Bible, that when, when you think about where a story falls, that you would put it within that structure. What is, what is this story? Where is it in God's overarching story? Now, I, I wanna emphasize this, and we're gonna talk about it a bunch this weekend, and that is that, that it's not just about knowing the story. The goal is to know the God of the story, The God who's behind the story. And this weekend is actually an introduction to the series, which is an introduction to Exodus. This isn't what every week is going to be about, but this weekend, I'm going to spend the next 20 minutes trying to compel you, begging you read the book, read the story, read the story. And there's going to be there's going to be some struggle along the way. We're just going to be brutally honest, all right? There's going to be some struggle along the way over the next 7 weeks. We're going to ask everyone to read the book Exodus. That that what we'll do is 4 days we'll read Exodus and on the fifth day, what we'll do is we'll do a, a video from the Bible Project. And in that video, it'll just be the overarching story of the first five books. And if you were in the Live It Out this week, you know that those first five books are called Torah. We often call them um, P- the Pentateuch, first five, Pentateuch meaning five, first five books of the Bible that, that are given to us, uh, sometimes referred to as the law uh, Torah means law, better translation, instruction. When you hear that word Torah, think God's loving instruction. The first five books of the Bible are God's loving instruction, and it's a story. And our job is to know the God who's revealed by the story. So I, if you had your Bible with you, I had you go to the end of Genesis, and here's why. The, the first five books In particular, the first four, the book of Deuteronomy kind of like repeats back and retells the story. Moses in a day retells the story of his people. but, But the first four books especially form one continuous story. And they were actually connected. They are connected. But you can only put so much information on a scroll. And then you have to get another one. And so what the Bible authors did is they connected them. They're connected by, by language. And so as we look at the end of Genesis, it says, so Joseph remained in Egypt. He and his father's house, Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Emachar, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own And these are the names of the sons of Israel who came out to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher, all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. If you have a Bible or in your journal at the beginning of uh, the book of Exodus, write the word and. And these. That and is there. It's just Bible translators leave it untranslated. Why? It's weird in English to begin a book with and. So it just begins with, these are the generations. And this is actually the Hebrew name. The book, uh, book name Exodus comes from the, the Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint, uh, that that That's where we get that word Exodus It just is talking about the story of God's people Leaving Egypt But the, the name the, if, if you're going to pick up a Hebrew Bible It's called um, And these are the names That's what the book of Exodus is called Every book begins with the first words of the book Why? It's where you pick up the story It's the book of what? The names The names of what? The sons of Israel who came out of Egypt Now Along the way, what we're going to do, you're going to read for big picture through the week, and then we're just going to cover the first four chapters, the introduction to the book of Exodus. And we're going to cover that over seven weeks in our first series through the book of Exodus. And you're like, okay, well, what are we going to do then? Then we're going to mix it up a little bit. Okay? We're actually, over June and July, we're going to do the gospel of Mark, and then at some point, we're going to circle back to Exodus, and we're going to cover it in detail. And so what you can expect over the next year is we'll do 30 weeks total in-ish, 30 weeks-ish in the book of Exodus so that we will understand the overall arching story of God. And some of you are like, why would I need that? Because we can't understand the first two chapters of the, uh, Matthew's gospel without the book of Exodus. If you've read Matthew's gospel, if you read the first two chapters, and you're like, oh yeah, I get it. If you don't know the story of the Exodus, you don't know what Matthew is talking about. You don't know. I mean, you, ish, I kind of know it, but you don't know it. And so what you're going to do is you're going to start reading your New Testament in a a new way, and you're like, okay, well, why? Is this so that I'll become a Bible expert? Yes! Yes! How do we possibly be word-dependent people without knowing the word of God? How do we possibly know the God of the story if we don't know God's story? And that means we have to engage, and and that means we have to dig in a little bit at times. It means that sometimes I don't get it. Guess what? Read it anyway. Eventually you're gonna get it. And So here's your encouragement as you listen If you have a bible or if you're using a journal as you listen have a pen out And so this is going to require some of you to get up 15 minutes earlier You're gonna have to get up 15 minutes earlier. You're gonna have to do something. This is not extended if you're listening I don't know how long it's gonna take you to read this week But if you're listening this week, the longest day is wednesday. It's eight minutes and 50 seconds Okay, it's eight minutes and 50 seconds. You're gonna cover a couple chapters. And along the way, there's gonna be some primer questions for you to ask of the text. Because we want you to read the story like it's a story. Why do we say that? Because it's a story. This week, as we as the Bible Project talked about the idea of narrative, I had to go look up exactly. I mean, I know what narrative is, it's story, but like, what exactly is narrative? And so this is Webster's Dictionary's. Uh, Profound definition, something that is narrated. <laughs> okay, that just means a story. It's an account or a story. And if you, as you read the Bible, what you're picking up is it's being narrated. It's a story that's being told. There's a narrator behind the scenes. It's, it's also a, a way of presenting or understanding a situation or a series of events that reflects and promotes a particular point of view. That's what it's doing. That's what's going on. If, if you're going to use it as an adjective, it's something that has the form of a story or the process of telling a story. It's all of those things. That, that when we say biblical narrative, we mean that, that it is God's story revealing the God behind the story. Now, this week, as, as the Bible Project talked about this, this um, idea of narrative and biblical narrative, I want to go a little bit further than they went. Now, the thing about resources are there's, there's no resource that we would say we agree with 100% all the time. All right. That's just the nature of using resources. And so obviously we love the Bible project because we're using it all the time and we're pointing you to it. And so, yes, it's a great resource. But does that mean that we agree with everything that they present or the way they present it? And the answer would be obviously no, because there's not going to be any resource out there that we're like, that's exactly what we would say. In particular, this week, we were talking about this in sermon meeting, and our group's director, Cindy, said, I wish this week when they were talking about how the, the authors um, wrote the book, that they would have emphasized more about God's activity, that, that it would have been more about God's divine inspiration through people, that they would have held that in more tension. They tended just to talk about the human part and not so much behind the God part. I'm like, that's a great point. As we dig in and as we talk about studying biblical narrative, for me, I would have preferred that when they talk about what it is that we're reading in the story, what they fail to point to is that every story is revealing something about God behind the story, not just Jesus eventually. They make a great point of that, that all the story leads us to Jesus, okay? All God's story leads us to Jesus, absolutely, absolutely. But, but they don't often talk about that, that even as the Bible characters are interacting, God's at work. And so what we're looking for is where is God at work? And we're going to demonstrate that in these opening seven verses that don't seem like there's very much there. I wish I could take everything in my head right now and just jam it in your brain. There's so much there. My great fear coming in this weekend was like, I'm going to overwhelm you. I may be like, Dave, you already have. like I, There's just so much in these opening seven verses. There's so much that's there that doesn't even seem to be there. And so what we want to make sure that you know is that when we talk biblical narrative, what we're talking about is theological story. We're talking about theological story. That word theological, uh, it's theological. The root is theology, right? It's just the study of God. Theological story is God's story. And so Exodus is a theological story. That's what it is. And that means that it's God's story, and that's what we're reading it for. And so as we think about what's the theme that's running through this entire book, as we read it and look for the big picture over the next seven weeks I think this guy um, that we're using as a resource in this series, Desmond Alexander, has it in a sentence. There can be little doubt that the most important theme running through the book of Exodus is that of knowing God. That's the theme that we want to make sure that we're paying attention to is is what is this revealing about God, his attributes? It's all the big word attributes and adjectives of God that are revealed through this story. It's it's God's sovereign majesty, his holiness, his awesome glory. It's God's power to perform miracles, God's God's operation in the supernatural, God's righteousness, God's, God's compassion. God makes himself known through words and interactions with people. God's not remote and far off. He's active in the story. So how do we read Exodus as a story? Now, I want to set a couple things apart, okay? I want to make sure that I, I say some things up front and we're really clear. We believe that the events in this book are historical, We believe that these events actually happened. If you do just a little bit of research out there, there's plenty of people who believe that these events never occurred, and there's people that argue that the events did occur. We're going to come from a standpoint that these events happened in history, even though nobody can actually prove it, okay? Just straight up up front, nobody can prove that these events either happened or did not happen, no matter what the internet says, okay? there's the caution, all right? Caution, caution, caution. Check your sources. Just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. All right, so what we would also say is Moses is the primary author, the primary author, and we're going to talk about that as we go along. It's important that we wouldn't just know, okay, this is God's word, God's story, God wrote it, okay, move on. No, it's important that we would know that there's both a, a God part and a person part in telling the story. And so we we can talk about Moses being the primary author of the Exodus, but there'll be some points around the way that we'd be like, but he couldn't have been the exclusive. Because how does a dead guy write stuff? That that can't happen, right? That's going to be part of the issue. All right. So if we're just reading Exodus for information, we end up missing out on the God of the story. So this is just theory if God had made it so that this was just a historical account it wouldn't reveal who he is we read different books differently right like if if we pick up um, the seven habits of highly effective people we're, we're talking about what we're talking about self-help how do I be a more effective human being if if we pick up a, a novel like Lord of the Rings and and this one is um Part two, The Two Towers, and if I just jumped in right here and started reading in part two, am I going to get the story? Well eventually I'll kind of pick it up, but without part one, this is going to make way less sense. But I read these two books differently. This book I'm reading for information. This book I'm reading asking questions. For a long time in my life, I didn't think I could fast. I'm like, I love food too much fasting whatever and so what do you do you get you get a book the complete guide to fasting those of you who think you can't fast pick it up all right if you think there's no way I can't fast you need a a self-help kind of book you need some instruction if 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 my air conditioner breaks I could possibly pick up the air conditioning and refrigeration guide to fixing my air conditioner but I'm not doing that I'm calling a guy reading for information. When we're reading this book, I'm not looking for information. I'm reading a novel. I'm asking questions of the text. And so it was really important, okay, that you hear that we believe that these events are historical, okay? So do not come back. I, I want to be so clear that you can't miss it. If you're not listening, listen. Do not Come back and say, Dave said the Bible is fiction. Dave never said the Bible is fiction. Ever. Never said that. Are we clear? (laughs) All right. Because now I'm going to tell you something else. I want you to read it like it is. You're like, why? Could you read this book different? You read this book not for information. You're looking for the story. What's the author doing? What's the plot? What's the subplot? What's going on with these characters? What's, What's the story behind the story? You're looking for things in a different kind of way. When we read God's story as a story, we begin to see it differently. And we begin to pick up things that we would miss if it's just looking for facts and information. And I'm going to give you one. This one I stumbled across just going back, just to pick up at the end of the book of Genesis. I was not looking to study the end of the book of Genesis. But occasionally what I'll do is I'll pick up the the Jewish study Bible. Okay, so it's the, the Jewish Publication Society's translation of the Old Testament called Tanakh. If you watch the videos, you already know what Tanakh is last week. Go back and watch them. They'll tell you what it is. And as I was reading, they had a little note that says, in Egyptian sources, 110 years was considered the perfect life. So why... Does it says that, that Joseph lived 110 years at the beginning of that little section, and then towards the end of that section, so Joseph died being 110 years old, why 110 years? And the question would be, why 110 years emphasized to set up a little bit of narrative? Was it about chronology? Because that's how we think of numbers. We think of numbers being like, okay, well, it was really important that he lived 110 years or did he live the perfect life? And the little frame is set in the story. We've talked about this already, Two Rivers. Numbers are more important than, 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 the, than, the, you, than you think, okay? I don't, I don't want to mess with you too much right now, okay? <laughs> There's just something more significant in the story that's going on. So here's what I want you to do. If, if you're using a journal or in your Bible, I want you to count the names, okay? I want you to count the names and, and if you're gonna count from Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, that's 11. If you weren't following, that's 11. Joseph was already in Egypt. There's 12. Write that in the margin. Then take 70, circle that, and underneath that 12 write 70 and over the next couple weeks not this week over the next couple weeks as you're reading or listening to the story start looking for a 12 and a 70 so i'm going to give you we're going to zoom in though at verse 7 As we're reading it like it's a story, we're looking for plot, subplot, foreshadowing, patterns, motifs, repeated ideas, repeated words, even repeated numbers. So check this out. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 7, But the people of Israel were fruitful, underline, increased greatly, underline. They multiplied, underline, and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled, underline. What do we see here? Over and over and over again, the author is making a point. There's something we're supposed to see. There's actually less emphasis here than you would get in the original text three times in a row. Like, they were greatly, greatly, greatly. They they were an exceedingly amazing people. Well, why, why is this important? Well, we have to know God's story, and we gotta go all the way back to the beginning of God's story. In Genesis chapter one, where it says, so God created humanity, really is that word there. God created Adam God gave humanity purpose and he set them apart that they would be a people who flourished as they they are his image bearers that they that they become his rulers in the world they represent God in the world and then what Humanity messes up and they choose rebellion until it comes to the point where God does what? That he covers the earth with water, being death and destruction, but he set apart a remnant through a guy named Noah and his family. And that would actually, uh, many commentators call that the recreation event, that God brings judgment and now he recreates and now there's a new Adam his name is Noah and his family. And what was God's instruction to Noah as he gets off the boat? God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And again in verse seven in chapter nine. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. This connects us. That once again, What we're seeing is that God's purpose for humanity was to to be a people who are fruitful and multiplied and increased in the earth, and that's exactly what happened to the children of Israel. You see, Exodus connects us to the story that comes before and points to God's action ahead. God is already at work in the story, and he hasn't even been introduced yet. It isn't just humanity has done their part. God has blessed his people. Even in the midst of what's going to develop, people are already experiencing the blessing of God. What God is up to with this one people in this one country has implications stretching in both directions. It points us back to creation in Abraham, and it points us forward to the new creation in all nations Coming and being blessed through Jesus. The story has a future, right? The story has a future. It's not just what's happening now. It's pointing us towards God's story that is a forever story. As a follower of Jesus, my part is to know God as he is revealed by the story. So what's the next step, right? What's your next step? It's to move from knowing about it to living it. That's the next step. It's to live it out. What we see here is the children of Israel were living out their part in God's story. God God called them to be a people who were fruitful and multiplied and they went from 70 to a great nation. We'll talk about numbers in the future. But it's huge that we would get that God has been at work. So this week, Here's the encouragement. Read the story. Read the story. Four days, we'll read the story. One day, we're gonna look at the overall arching story of the first five books, Torah, Pentateuch. We're gonna look at those, the big picture, two weeks in Genesis. So it's gonna be really important that we do all of it, that we don't take a day off, that you don't fall behind. Because here's what's gonna happen. If you fall behind, then you get discouraged. And if you fall behind and get discouraged, then you're going to opt out, okay? And here's, here's my encouragement. Let's hold each other accountable to this. Let's do this together. We talked about we need we. We need each other to be like, don't quit. Don't stop. Okay, this week is going to be not like weeks in the future. We'll have weeks to talk about the fact that there's going to be some stuff. You're like, man, I had no idea what, why. Why did I have to read all that? It will all make sense. Eventually. Most of it will make sense eventually. (laughs) I'm not going to get to all of it, right? Because nobody really gets it all. Nobody really understands it all. Everybody comes at it from a different point of view. Because here's the thing. Understanding story is more art than science. Huge. Understanding God's story is art. More than science. For you engineers out there, I'm sorry to bend your brain. I'm sorry. If you just want this thing to be in a straight line and linear and tell me facts, I'm sorry. That's not what God did. He doesn't seem concerned to verify the historicity of this part of his story. It doesn't seem to be important to him. It seems more important that he would reveal who he is through the story. So that's what we're going to ask you to do. Engage the story. And as you look at the top of the live it out, this is a key, 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 key question. Ask Jesus, what do you want me to see in your story today? What do you want me to see? This is a huge question. This is every time we approach the Bible, that's the leading question. God, what do you want to see? What do you want to bring to mind? It's the first question of study. It is, God, what do you want what do you want me to see? And so to actually pray that and then know that the, the questions that are there in your handout, they're just a primer. It's just beginning. There's more questions. You may have more questions. Allow the questions to hang. Live in the tension. Don't feel like you have to resolve all the issues. Just write them down, write out your questions and and sometime over the next 30 uh, 30 years, (laughs) the next year, sometime over the next year, in 30 weeks, in the next year, we'll be in and out of the book of Exodus, we'll hopefully cover those questions, but highlight, underline, ask questions of the text and what's going to happen over time, you're like, oh, this is so cool. Even those of you who, who get the big picture of the story, and yes, the answer is eventually going to be Jesus. We're going to get there. Even if you know that, there's so much more to the story. So that's what we're going to do. But right now, what we're going to do, every venue, everywhere, what we're going to do is we're going to worship the God of the story. The God who has revealed himself through the story through the person and work of Jesus Christ, is worthy of our worship. So I'm going to invite you to stand everywhere. I'm going to invite you to stand here and live, and we're going to pray as we head into worship. God, we are so grateful that you are a God who's revealed yourself to us, that you are a God who gives life and hope, that you are a God who's worthy of our worship. And so we worship you now in Jesus' name.